carrying the cross by himself, he went to the place called the place of the skull. In Hebrew, Golgotha. There they nailed him to the cross. Two others were crucified with him, one on either side with Jesus between them. This piece of art that we're looking at just gives a small description of what the back of Jesus probably looked like. This, of course, is an impression because we can't really see exactly. We just know that his bones probably were showing. He was dehydrated. He not only had been whipped, but he had been beaten. Sometimes you see the image of him carrying the entire cross, but what was probably more accurate is that he just had the cross beam. And if you were in the crowd that day, you had remembered that he had healed people, that he had brought life to people who were dead. They showed miracles by walking on the water. He was all powerful. He was the one that you had put your hope in. But on this day, the people lost their hope. They jeered at him and they called him weak. It was probably the same people that may have eaten the bread that he gave them on the day that they were all hungry and they came to listen to him preach. The Jews even, they looked at him and said, you know, he's not even worthy to have a placard saying that he's our king. Let's just kind of put that out of the picture and say that he just said that he's the king. Because we're ashamed of him. He's no Jew. He's not a part of our family. He is a worthless man. Who we're okay if he just dies. I think tonight we sometimes look at the story of Jesus and we see a video of him and we see him being crucified and immediately we separate ourselves and we blame, well, it was, it was the Jews that day. They betrayed him. It was the disciples. They didn't stand up for him. They deserted him. No, it was the Romans. They just saw him as a nuisance. They were, they were okay to get rid of him. But how many times in our lives have we chosen to stay silent about Jesus? There's a story in this image of Peter probably seeing Jesus asked to carry his cross, and he had through the night known. In fact, he was asked several times, do you know who this guy is? And he didn't want to say that he did. And we can't get into the heart of Peter, but there was probably some, he was ashamed and he was scared to be associated with a guy like this. I think we fit into those shoes pretty well. How many times have we watched from a distance and said, well, I kind of believe, but not totally. I'm not one of those weird, 
Christians. How many times have we denied that we really know him? Maybe not by saying we don't know him, but maybe it's just the way we live. How many times have we said, you know, I really don't even want to be near him. I don't want to represent his kingdom. I don't really want to be like this Jesus. And I certainly don't want to pick up a cross and follow him. We say things like, I don't have time for church. And we forget that this word, the church, is something he instituted. And he calls it his bride. But we go, we don't want a part of it. Or I can't pray right now because things are too crazy and things are hard. Jesus is always with us, but then why is it so hard for us to be with him? Or I really, really kind of like this idea of Jesus. I like some of the things he said, just not everything. So I'll take the parts of Jesus that I like, and the other parts I'll just kind of put aside. I can desert him that way. We become very much like Peter in the gospel of Luke. When he looks at them beating him, and when the lady asks him, he says, I don't know him. Jesus has given us complete freedom from every sin. And yet our first reaction when things become hard is that we want to run, we want to hide, and we don't want to draw near him. We'd rather watch from a distance rather than standing beside Jesus. Is that you? Verse 23, when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they divided his clothes among the four of them. They also took his robe, but it was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said, rather than tearing it apart, let's throw dice for it. This fulfilled the scriptures that said, they divided their garments among themselves and threw dice for my clothing. So that is what they did. We have an image where casting lots and grabbing the clothes of Jesus, we see an image kind of like this. Maybe that's kind of what we have in our mind. And I think in this same thing, this is very historical where the Romans, this was part of what they would do for humiliation. So if they had defeated a, an enemy army, they would gather the troops that had surrendered and were still alive. And they would strip them. They were completely naked. And then they'd make them march through the streets. Because there's no better way to shame someone than to take everything from them. What happened with the enemy armies was the same thing that they would do to people that they crucified. 
and often to save the shame, you'll see pictures and movies that won't show what they really did. But realistically, historically, Jesus had nothing. And the last thing that he had, they took, and because it was seamless, they didn't want to rip it apart. And they started throwing lots for it. They wanted to take every last thing that he had. Now, we don't want to step into this image too quickly because we feel that, no, we aren't that dark and evil. But the reality for each of us in this room is that many times, on many occasions, we have tried to take everything we can possibly get from Jesus. We are just like the soldiers who took, and they took, and they took. And they really didn't care how much shame came upon him. When you pray, is it more about what you can get or what you can get for someone else? When was the last time that you said a prayer where you said, Jesus, take this from me so I can learn more about you? We take. We consume. And we look at Jesus and we don't care if there's shame upon him. I think the truth that's in Romans is something that's hard for us to embrace. It's in chapter 5. We throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that he's already thrown open his door to us. We find ourselves standing where we always hoped we might stand. Out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall and shouting our praise. There's more to come. We continue to shout our praise even when we're hemmed in in troubles because we know how troubles can develop passionate patience in us and how that patient in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert for whatever God will do next. In alert expectancy such as this, we are never left feeling shortchanged. Quite the contrary, we can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. Christ arrives right on time to make this happen. He didn't and doesn't wait for us to get ready. He presented himself for the sacrificial death when we were far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready. The truth is, is that we are responsible for the death of Christ. Each and every one of us in this room, we are as responsible as the soldiers who cast lots. We are as responsible as the Jews who said, we're going to reject you. We are as responsible as the disciples that said, we're too scared to stick with you. That's kind of how our faith life goes, right? One moment, we're right there, and the next moment, we can't be there. Or one moment, we've been praying for something, and we don't get it, and we get angry, and we go, Jesus, you're not giving me what I want. We become very selfish and self-centered. 
and we make the life of Jesus about us instead of what he did for us. Our actions say that Jesus dying for me is not enough. I need more. That night, Jesus knew that those at the cross, he saw them. They were right there. He saw the soldiers. He saw maybe one or two of the disciples that hadn't left that were still watching. He saw his mom. Saw everyone that was saying, why don't you just come down off the cross? And he still looked at them. Just as he looks at us tonight and he said he knows that we would struggle with sin, that we would, we would struggle with the effects of sin, we would struggle with the sin that's in us. He knew that we would struggle with selfishness, that we would struggle with sickness, our sickness, our darkness, our cravings for consumption, just like the soldiers who were seeing who could get the last thing that Jesus owned. But on the cross, Jesus didn't command respect. He didn't demand that the soldiers would give his clothes back. He didn't demand that people would say, we're sorry. He just allowed that sin and that shame to come upon him. He looked out in that crowd. He looked at the Romans that said, you're a nuisance. He looked at the disciples who had deserted him. He looked at those people that hated him. And he looked out on them with love. There was no way that he was going to come off the cross because he knew that was the only way to finish what he had started. And that was to pay our debt of sin. And he also knew as he looked out from the cross that those feelings and those attitudes, that need of consumption would not end that day. That it would continue day after day after day after day. He knew that those of you that walked into this room tonight that you would deal with the same things that people were dealing with on the night that they crucified him. And even looking all the way through history and the future, he said, you're worth it. I don't care about your selfishness because I want you. I don't care about your hatred because I'm going to love you. And I don't care if you deserted me because I will always be waiting for you. I don't care how hard your heart has become or how ridiculous you think I am because I think you're wonderful and you're worth dying for. I'm ready to do this for you, even if you're not ready for me. I'll wait on you. 
That's what he did on the cross. For the soldiers that didn't believe in him, he waited for them. That maybe one would believe. And in Scripture, we see that one did. And today he looks at us, and for those of us that look at his story and we say it's ridiculous and it's stupid and I don't even know if I believe it, he says, I'm going to wait on you because I think you're worth it. Verse 28, Jesus knew that his mission was now finished, and so to fulfill Scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it and put a hyssop branch and held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and released his spirit. The Greek word for finished is telestestai. And this Greek word, it is finished, only occurs in the entirety of Scripture twice. And it's in this these few verses right here. First, when he said, the work or the mission that I went out to do is finished, he uses this term. And then when he says, it is finished, he used it again. This term was not uncommon. It was a common term that was actually used with the Hebrews all the time in this Greek-speaking world. And what it often would point to is when a debt was paid in full. So when John was writing this gospel and he used this word to describe the finishing work of Jesus, his readers knew that Jesus' death was to pay for their sins, to pay them in full, the ones that they had committed and the ones that they had yet to commit. He said it was finished because everything that he had gone out to do he had done. And for us tonight, it is as true as it was for everyone that was at the cross or had run away from the cross. It is true for you tonight that it is finished. That his love for you will never finish. But the work on his cross finished our need for our sin to be paid. So that night he died to pay for our sins. And as he died to pay for our sins, he died so that we might live. And because we have this life, because he gave us this life, we call tonight good. It's the one time that you would look at a cross and a beaten man that had been broken and say it's good because of what he did for us.